welcome to episode 22 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? fans welcome to another episode of the jedi temple archives podcast we're recording this episode on tuesday august 13th 2019 and uh today's episode we are going to cover or start covering some of the information on the bounty hunters that we see in empire strikes back uh primarily because it's going to tie in nicely when the, uh, the mandalorian comes out on disney plus streaming service this fall and to help me discuss this i have back my trusty co-pilot and co-host tom uh tom welcome back to the show well hello rob always good to be with you on the jedi temple archives podcast oh, yeah we tell ourselves that every week and uh, i'm still i'm still <laughs> it's, hoping it's that it's back. true Right on. So uh, I think we'll go ahead and we'll just jump right into this week's topic. And really the reason that uh, that I want to do this again was because once the Mandalorian comes out this fall, uh, we're going to be dealing with bounty hunters for sure. Uh, I know that there is a character that's going to be part of that Mandalorian series who a lot of people think is IG-88, which is the uh, robot bounty hunter from Empire Strikes Back when Vader brings them all to his ship to help track down Han Solo and Princess Leia. Uh, so it looks familiar, but my understanding of that is it's actually going to be a different uh, character named IG-11. Uh, that being said, I think there's still going to be a lot of crossover between those two characters. And uh, also this week, we're going to go ahead and dive into a little bit on Boba Fett, who is a better known character uh, for most of the fans of the films. But uh, there's still a lot of information that gets revealed about Boba Fett through the Clone Wars. And uh, for the casual Star Wars fan who may not know all that backstory, we'll fill some of that in. And he kind of has an interesting relationship with uh, with IG-88 as well. So they seem like the perfect combination to discuss together. And then we'll do another episode down the road to discuss those other bounty hunters. Uh, the other four that are there aboard uh, Darth Vader's flagship in Empire Strikes Back are Dengar, uh, who is a human male. He's kind of got the the wrappings around his head. Uh, and then you've also got Bosk, who's the Trandoshan bounty hunter. And then there's also uh, four LOM and uh, Zuckus, who are the other two. So we'll get into those guys in another episode. But for this, I think we're going to just start off with that clip from Empire Strikes Back. Yes, sir. Those rebels won't escape us. Sir, we have a priority signal from the Star Destroyer Avenger. Right. There will be a substantial reward for the one who finds the Millennium Falcon. You are free to use any methods necessary, but I want them alive. No disintegration. As you wish. Lord Vader. 
My lord, we have them. So really that is one of the most iconic scenes within Empire Strikes Back uh, in regards to seeing some great characters that we really don't learn much about. But I think probably the best place to start off here would be uh, IG-88. There's a little less information known about him within canon, at least. Yeah, I, you really know very little about him in canon. Uh, you pretty much just see him, at least on the films, uh, within the one scene there on the uh, on the ship with Vader, you know, kind of rallying the the bounty hunter troop, bounty hunter troops to find Han Solo and Princess Leia, uh, and then you really don't see him again in any of the other films. We do discover him in other ways throughout canon, but he really there is really very little known about him. You just know he's just kind of this cool bounty hunting droid. Right. And uh, to give a little backstory on IG-88, um, at least within canon, and again, I say that because he was a lot better developed within uh, the old legend stories. Um, there were actually some backstories on all those bounty hunters. Uh, unfortunately, those are, are just exactly what I said. They're legends at this point. So uh, we will see how much of that information gets brought back into canon. But for now, what we do know about IG-88 is that he is uh, part of the IG series of assassin droid models, and those were created by a company known as Holowan Laboratories. I wonder if there's any tie-in there to Obi-Wan. Mm, no, yeah, I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> so uh, Tom's like, absolutely not. Um, he, he was also known by his designation of IG-88B. And again, that ties back into some of the Legends backstories. There was IG-88A and B. Uh, and IG-88B is the one of the two of them that actually had survived kind of their early uh, missions. Um, and they were also known as Flut Droids. Um, so kind of an odd name there. Uh, but he basically uh, understood that he had his to kill right from the moment he was first activated. Um, he basically kind of went rogue from uh, the laboratory where he was created and pretty quickly became one of the most feared bounty hunters in the galaxy. Um, and the interesting tie-in between he and Boba Fett is that Boba Fett had a innate fear of droids. Um, it was one of the very few things that he was really afraid of, and it was primarily the the assassin droids that he experienced within the Clone Wars. Uh, so he established himself pretty early on as as a rival to Boba Fett um, within the Star Wars universe. Yeah, they had a pretty fierce rivalry, as a matter of fact. Uh, you know, I mean. Uh, for all bounty hunters, they're all looking to capture a lot of times the same uh, client person, you know, whoever is out there running free and that someone wants to kind of bring them in and get that bounty, get that money, uh, get those credits. Uh, and a lot of times these two would end up running into each other in various different locations going head to head. And some things that you might be surprised to hear, as a matter of fact, I'm sure you'll uh, go over this uh, as you uh, go through a little bit more about IG-88 and Boba Fett. Right. Yeah. And so in, in as far as IG-88's career goes, um, there's some really cool tie-ins both to uh, Star Wars Rebels and Solo, a Star Wars story, or at least characters from those films. Uh, one of the very early jobs that IG-88 was given through the Empire, uh, he was hired by Agent Callus, who was kind of a main player on the Imperial side initially within Star Wars Rebels. And he was hired by Agent Callus to track down an Imperial Army deserter who you may have heard of before, and that would be Captain Han Solo. 
be interested to get into some of those comics. I've been wanting to read them. I've been uh, trying to uh, get into them, and uh, I look forward to purchasing them soon and, and digging into them because I find there's so much more depth that's being explored now within the comics, within some of the uh, books, all the literature that's coming out now. You're really finding a lot more interesting stuff and some backstories on some characters that maybe you knew very little about, or at least uh, maybe they're expanding more on what was originally the expanded universe now is legends. Yeah. And so uh, another tie in with IG 88 too, as I mentioned, uh, one of the characters that we learned about within star Wars. Uh, so sorry, I keep doing this solo, a star Wars story uh, <laughs> is he had a mission that he went on to track down Kira and basically bring her in to capture her bounty. And he teamed up for that mission with Hondo Onaka who is another character that we have talked about uh, on this podcast and who is uh, another one of those characters that you run across within uh, both the Clone Wars as well as Star Wars Rebels. And I do actually have a clip of that. Uh, the Star Wars Forces of Destiny clips are just kind of short cartoon clips, um, and they're all around two, two and a half minutes long. So I'm going to go ahead and play that for you now. Forces of Destiny. Surrender. Hmm. Oh, Kira, Kira. It does look like you have fallen into our little trap. Catching you was quite difficult, my young friend. I had to partner with IG-88 here. A Crimson Dawn Lieutenant will fetch a nice bounty. You're splitting bounty credits? Hmm. That's not like you, Hondo. And I thought you hated droids. Well, true, true, but eh. <laughs> Why are you bothering with me anyway? That droid is worth more than I am. Well, actually, the bounty on me is more than you two put together. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> That droid was obviously going to double-cross me. Ugh. Good idea! What? What? This one... You were right. That droid was useful. As a distraction. How did you... Where were you... What is going on? You're about to make me rich. I am... But that is robbery extortion! It's a crime. You never would have got me if I had not got you first. You double-crossed me. Well, but she triple-crossed you. That is much worse. Ugh, start walking. All right. Tell you what. I will split the bounty with you 70-30. Fine, 80-20. We are in no position to negotiate. Quiet, you... You see, this is why I don't like droids. We are in no position. Always interrupting. Now, what was I saying? Again, uh, we know from Solo A Star Wars Story that Kira is pretty good at taking care of herself and uh, certainly is, is a clever woman, and she certainly proves that within that clip. All the more reason we need to hashtag make Solo 2 happen. Uh, we need to hear more of Kira because I really think that she could be a very much more well-developed and interesting character. I know that there's got to be a lot there. I would love to find out more about her. But, um, you know, if, if we don't get 
an actual solo too, then maybe at least they can expand more on her story within the comics, within the books, whatever the case may be. Right. So that, I mean, there are a couple of other minor missions that IG-88 partakes in, uh, but really the next major event within the Star Wars universe that you see IG-88 take a part in is, again, like we said, uh, he was hired by uh, the Dark Lord of the Sith, Darth Vader, and brought aboard his flagship uh, to help track down Princess Leia and Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon, uh, along with those other bounty hunters that we mentioned. And in the process of that, um, he really wasn't sure how to go about tracking down Han and Leia, but he certainly knew that Boba Fett was clever enough to come up with a, a good plan to track them down. And while we did see within The Empire Strikes Back that, you know, as Han Solo and Princess Leia detached from the back of the Star Destroyer and uh, quote unquote float away with the rest of the garbage uh, and then head off to Bespin, we see Boba Fett kind of drop in behind them and start tracking them. And what is not shown on screen is that IG-88 is essentially tracking Boba Fett, uh, planning to uh, steal the bounty from him once they get wherever they may be going. Yeah, and, and they end up squaring off in Bespin before they actually capture Han and Leia and kind of duke it out. And uh, once again, Boba kind of came out on top. Yeah, he basically uh, ends up leaving IG-88 for scrap metal um, after that confrontation. Again, it's another thing that we certainly don't see within the film, but that whole story of what went on on Bespin, uh, I know kind of one of the interesting things about the whole um, series of events that takes place on Bespin is there's a lot of thought within the Star Wars universe or within the Star Wars community kind of about how long they must have been on Bespin because it's intercut with all the scenes of Luke training on Dagobah. And you have to assume that that Luke's training on Dagobah lasted for some significant period of time, uh, whether that was, you know, days or weeks or whatever the case may be. So it's never really clear uh, from the, the series of events on Bespin just how long they're there, but clearly they were there long enough for some of these other kind of underlying stories to play out and sort themselves out. Well, I mean, also Chewie had to be able to assemble uh, C-3PO again during some of that time that they're there. That can't have been easy. There are a lot of wires and everything to connect it. That had to take some time. I know Chewie's very skilled mechanically, but it had to take a little bit of time to put him even part of the way back together. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty complicated game of C-3PO pickup sticks. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the whole backstory of IG-88, pretty, uh, pretty shallow by comparison to what was there in Legends, uh, but still fairly interesting. Um, in terms of a little bit more about IG-88 himself, uh, which is important because I think this is going to tie in very, very tightly to the IG-11 character that we're going to see in the Mandalorian, but the actual IG-88 assassin uh, droid series was certainly obsessed with hunting, destroying, and killing as a result of their programming. And in IG-88's case, it was even worse because he had what was considered to be incompletely formed droid programming. Um, so he probably lacked some of the restrictions that the other droids in that series had. Um, he was an independent hunter and uh, was considered by many to be pretty merciless. Are you saying he had a screw loose? Yeah, he had, I think he had several screws loose and uh, maybe a couple of methods missing in his programming. Yeah, uh, he, and I think this, you're right, and this why this ties into The Mandalorian and IG-11 is because I, if, you, if you've seen any of the leaked um, footage that was taken to Star Wars Celebration Chicago, uh, you get to see a glimpse of uh, IG-11 uh, doing some pretty phenomenal things fighting, and that's the one thing with IG-88 as well. He was able to 
basically see through all sides of his head. He could look all around him, see everywhere. He was able to pivot his body quickly to fire at different locations if need be. He was, uh, he really was deadly. And there's no better word to put for it because uh, he could really get to you. Now, you know, he, again, he had several screws loose. So I think you could take advantage of that with him as we, we just heard Rob talking about with Kira. Uh, but yeah, he, he doesn't mean he wasn't lethal and, and, and a very good bounty hunter. Yeah. And in addition to all of that, um, in the description of IG-88, it's talked about the fact that he has multiple uh, photoreceptors uh, located around his head. So he could see in more than one direction at a given time. Uh, he had heat sensors. He had sound sensors. He had a vocorder, which is essentially what allowed him to talk at the base of his head. Um and to Tom's point, uh, one of the distinctions they make about IG-88 is that his torso was able to fully rotate uh, in battle. Uh, so he was able to attack enemies on all sides. And that is exactly what we see within that clip from the Mandalorian. Uh, he's basically walking down the street and his upper torso is just rotating and he's got blaster bolts going off in every direction. So I think that's going to be a really cool character to see within the Mandalorian to see an IG-80 or sorry, an IG series assassin droid uh, in action. Um, the tough metal body that he possessed uh, was highly resistant to any damage. Although of course it doesn't sound like it was so much an issue for Boba Fett. Um, <laughs> and he even had acid proof servo wires. So it was a situation where he could not be easily disabled. Uh, you really had to know what you were doing to take out an ig series assassin droid yeah you basically like like uh, and i just talked about it and you talked about it earlier akira basically had to outsmart him and i think that's the best way to really approach uh ig88 maybe in the future ig11 we'll have to see if there's been anything adapted or if it's a little bit different in that regard but that seems like the best way to defeat them is they're built so much to be lethal to be these walking weapons that maybe they lost a little in their cognitive approach yeah and uh again he was a walking arsenal uh in terms of the types of weapons he used he would he would use blaster rifles uh, pulse weapons, uh, neural inhibitors. He had a needle dart gun, uh, which launched poison darts. And he also, within his uh, within his droid body, carried uh, concussion discs, a flamethrower, sonic devices, gas dispensers. I mean, he basically had, he was a walking arsenal and uh, capable of pretty much dealing out damage in any number of ways. I mean, what didn't he carry with him? I mean, he had everything to attack every possible way you could. Uh, he was, uh, it was... Really interesting to see. I am very much looking forward to seeing IG-11, and I hope we hear more and we get more in in uh, you know in canon about IG-88 as well. Yeah, and interestingly enough, in terms of uh, kind of the creation of IG-88, there's a, a neat little kind of piece of trivia with him in that the head that we described with the photoreceptors and everything uh, was actually a repurposed drink dispenser from the cantina and Moss Eisley from the original Star Wars film. So if you're watching uh, the original star wars film or a new hope as they now call it pay attention in that scene and you will see behind the bartender these drink dispensers that are an exact copy of ig88's head within uh, empire strikes back yep that's it that's that's the truth i've, I've seen it there i've spotted it i'm like wow there it, that looks like ig88's head what's going on back there Interesting yeah, stuff. so uh, even with the success of the original star wars film you know lucas was always looking for uh ways for them to kind of kind of make use of things that may already be in their arsenal in terms of uh the set equipment or whatnot so uh it's just kind of a fun little twist that they uh put on him within the empire strikes back 
Right. Completely agree with you. Sweet. So um, moving on from IG-88, uh, obviously we've talked a little bit about how he had uh, kind of some tie-ins with Boba Fett. And Boba Fett is a character that we know a little bit more about. He's addressed in much more detail uh, within the films. Interestingly enough, he was actually supposed to be the primary villain of the sequel to Star Wars, later titled Empire Strikes Back. Um, but it just happened to work out that they ended up going with Vader in that role instead. Yeah, originally uh, when Lucas was forming his thoughts on expanding the the series to uh, several films, he was going farther into more trilogies. And and you know, uh, when the Emperor wasn't supposed to show up until I believe I read there was Episode Nine originally, and uh, and right. so there was going to be a lot more development of some of these side villains as well but when they decided to cut that short not do that originally uh they ended up instead uh, you know having him be more of a side character and vader taking the larger role yeah and i think that there's a lot of fans uh certainly people who've been pretty vocal about the fact that they would have loved to see more boba fett within the original trilogy for sure um fortunately we get uh some of some of boba fett's backstory within the prequels uh, we get to see Jango Fett in action, uh, who is a great character. Um, and within the Clone Wars, and not so much in Rebels, but uh, really within the Clone Wars, you do get to see a lot more of kind of the adolescent Boba Fett and even uh, kind of into his teenage years a little bit. So uh, we'll go ahead and just jump right into that now. Um, within the prequels, certainly, um, we see that Jango Fett, who was the template for those, uh, clone troopers that made up the grand army of the Republic was, uh, was compensated for that service in a number of ways. First, he was certainly given a very sizable, uh, financial compensation for it, but he did have one other request and that was Boba Fett. So I've got a clip of that here. They are totally obedient, taking any order without question. We modified their genetic structure to make them less independent than the original host. And who was the original host? A bounty hunter called Jango Fett. And where is this bounty hunter now? Oh, we keep him here. Apart from his pay, which is considerable, Fett demanded only one thing. An unaltered clone for himself. Curious, isn't it? Unaltered? Pure genetic replication, no tampering with the structure to make it more docile, and no growth acceleration. I should very much like to meet this Django Fett. I would be very happy to arrange it for you. So clearly Django Fett was concerned about kind of carrying on his legacy, and Boba Fett was... Um, essentially as, as clean a replication of Django Fett as you could have. And it was pretty clear that he was being groomed by Django Fett uh, to kind of carry on in his image within that film. Yeah, I mean, essentially he was Django's son. Uh, you know, even though all the clones had a piece of Django or, or much of Django in them, the DNA anyway, uh, this was truly kind of his idea of, oh, well, you know, I'm probably never going to be able to settle down and have children or whatever, but I can do this. So this is going to be my son and I'm going to train him, um, you know, following his father's footsteps, essentially. Yeah. And you really get to see um, within Attack of the Clones when Jango Fett and Boba Fett are making their escape from Kamino after it's been pretty clear uh, to Jango Fett that Obi-Wan is on to him and knows that he is uh, tied to that assassination attempt on Padme back in Coruscant, that Jango stays to 
to fight Obi-Wan and directs Boba to, you know, get get the ship ready so they can make their escape. And Boba is very efficient, even at that young age, at, you know, getting the Slave One prepped, um, actually helping the fight um, in terms of taking some shots at Obi-Wan with the ship's cannons as well, and is the one that flies that ship away um, when they escape from Obi-Wan, who throws that tracker at it as they're departing. Yeah, he was obviously been trained already by his father. We, uh, if, if you've read into it at all, you know he's also been trained in uh, firing, a bl- firing a blaster as well. He was getting the skills he needed. He was really, like I said, he was uh, Django was getting him set in every way to be his son, to follow in his footsteps. Maybe eventually they thought they could team up and, and do much more glorious things. Right, and uh, of course, uh, Boba Fett was also present at the end of Attack of the Clones when Django uh, faced off with Mace Windu in the arena there on Geonosis. And uh, he was a witness to Mace Windu essentially uh, decapitating his father. We kind of leave that film with him sitting there kind of crouching on the arena floor, uh, holding his father's Mandalorian helmet kind of to his uh, to his head. And really, at that point, he's taking a vow that he is going to avenge his father in any way that he can. And and he um, wants to kill Mace Windu as a result. Right, something he never uh, ever got over, as far as we knew. Definitely, when as Mace Windu was alive, we don't know. Uh, well, we don't even actually know really, truly that Mace Windu was dead. But as far as we know, when when Mace Windu passed, uh, maybe that was when he kind of got past that part. But definitely, when during his young life, uh, he was he was not getting over that for sure. No, and um, within this is kind of where it crosses over more into the Clone Wars. Which is appropriate, considering the fact that that's really what the Attack of the Clones film feeds right into. Uh, Within the Clone Wars, we do get to see some of his attempts to uh, avenge his father uh, by killing Mace Windu. And uh, one of the very early clips that we get to see of that is on one of the Republic cruisers. Of course, they've got these young uh, clone troopers that are being brought onto these ships uh, as as trainees or cadets and kind of being indoctrinated into what is going to be expected of them as they get older. And of course, uh, young Boba Fett, who is a direct genetic clone of Jango Fett, slides in with one of these groups and uh, essentially uses that as cover to make an attempt on Mace Windu's life, as we show in this clip. Boba, is that you? It is. I'm sending you the data now. Receive transmission. Boba out. Hey, what are you doing here? Uh, communicate, sir. Eyes only. I've been dispatched to General Windu's quarters. There's no problem, sir. Oh, there's a problem. You're lying. Admit it. You're lost. Come on, cut the kid a break. Windows quarters are that way, Shiny. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir.
eyes on where you're headed, cadet. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. Sir, General Skywalker requests your presence on the bridge. I'll be there shortly. The General requests your presence immediately, sir. No rest for the weary. Put these inside my quarters, would you? Yes, sir. So basically within that scene, Mace Windu uh, escapes by the skin of his teeth in that scenario. But it is the first indication that he's got someone out there who is looking to kill him for whatever reason. And he's not really sure what that is at that point in time. Yeah, not not at that moment. He can't quite figure it out. But uh, yeah, it's, it was interesting to see a little bit of what, you know, led up to that scene, you know, Boba mixing in with the other young clones there and kind of really feeling at home there. Although, you know, he it was you could tell that he had had a little more training to that point. He was a little more skilled. They even nicknamed him Lucky, which was interesting. Uh, it, it, but it was it was a fascinating thing. Uh, you know, I, I find it interesting that, you know, you, you talk about how there's much more uh, in canon about Boba Fett. But if you've only seen the films, you don't really know that much about Boba Fett. I mean, you know that the, you've seen in the original trilogy that, uh, you know, he is the one who helped hunt down Han Solo. He was there on Tatooine in Return of the Jedi, you know, helping fight on, on Jabba's side, but doesn't really last very long in that film. And then you see him very young as 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 Django's essential son uh but then you did that you really don't get that much about him but you know again we we sell it over and over again you need to look at some of these animated series and the clone wars you get a lot more on Boba Fett in that and this as we're talking about right now is is leading into that yeah and i think probably the other good point to make about Boba Fett and Django Fett by association is i think there's generally even amongst um fans that are a little bit more familiar with the expanded uh, portions of canon that you get to see in the animated series. But everything always points to the fact that he and Jan that both Boba and Django wear Mandalorian armor. And I think it's assumed by many that he is in fact Mandalorian uh, when the reality is that neither of them are. Um, the Mandalorian armor was something that Django Fett wore really for the advantages that gave him as a bounty hunter. It had lots of weapons and lots of defensive measures within that armor that would help him fighting Jedi as well as his other quarry. And, um, it was, again, just assumed that he was a Mandalorian. So that is likely to be kind of the difference between what we see with Boba Fett and Jango Fett and what we see within the Mandalorian, uh, the series that's coming out on Disney Plus, is that I think within the Mandalorian, we are expecting that that is going to actually truly be a Mandalorian um, who is not only wearing the armor, but but really kind of carrying on those Mandalorian traditions that we also see within uh, both the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. Yeah, I mean the the one thing about it is in when we're during the original trilogy, the and uh, something that you may not know out there is that the Mandalorians were really being kept in check by the Empire very much so because uh, the Emperor kind of feared them a little bit because if they got together and fought back, they could be very vicious. They could be deadly to him. So they wanted to make sure and keep that as separated and as che in check as possible. So really, you don't hear much from the Mandalorians. Uh, during the actual original trilogy, but that doesn't mean that once their reigns are freed, they're not going to be seen make a comeback, at least some of them. And uh, I, that's why, yeah, I, hopefully during the Mandalorian that the Mandalorian is actually a Mandalorian. <laughs> 
Let's see how many times we can say Mandalorian in a sense. I think it's a it's a competition, and we're neck and neck at this point. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it is an excellent point. I mean, when we talked about the history of the Jedi uh, in one of our earlier episodes, one of the key events within the Jedi Order was the war with the Mandalorians. And uh, the Mandalorians, as Tom indicated, um, they were very skilled and very adept at fighting force users. Uh, in fact, a lot of the countermeasures that they had built into their armor were specifically for dealing with force users. So, um, you know, we see that within Return of the Jedi as Luke is battling Boba Fett. He's got that um, basically grapple launcher, that cord that shoots out of his gauntlet and uh, wraps around Luke. And he's able to actually escape from that using his lightsaber. Uh, speaking of Luke Skywalker and Boba Fett, uh, within the Darth Vader comic series, uh, there is actually a mission that Darth Vader sends uh, Boba Fett on, which is to capture Luke and, and bring him to Darth Vader. And um, this is after the events of uh, a new hope where the the death star is blown up and certainly vader is interested in who this young um individual who's strong in the force uh is that is able to blow up the death star and he kind of wants to see if that individual is going to join him in overthrowing the emperor and boba fett is the character that is tasked with that job of bringing luke in yeah I, it was actually a very interesting and again i just did some reading on this i haven't read the comics yet and all the more reason why i want to delve into these comics very very soon because uh fascinating stuff this is really directly after uh the battle of yavin and you know he goes essentially the emperor sends darth vader to tatooine to kind of uh talk with jabba about seeing about getting some extra resources doing some more stuff to build the military even larger than it needs i don't know why the emperor needed to contact jabba but uh that was the way and on the side darth vader kind of goes instead and meets also with uh, Boba Fett and says, look, this is also what I need. I need to find out who this boy was uh, that is the person that ended up destroying the Death Star. And Wow, you know, some interesting things ensue from that. Yeah, again, it's just another another example of how within the uh, expanded offerings that they've got in regards to Star Wars entertainment beyond the films, even beyond the animated TV series, uh, these comic series are uh, certainly instrumental into kind of adding a lot of these details into canon. And interestingly enough, if you are an Amazon Prime member, um, and you go out and search the Kindle store, you will find that a lot of these comics and even some of the uh, kind of compilation volumes of them uh, can be uh, wa or not watched, but uh, read for free uh, using your Kindle device. So uh, that is actually how I was able to get caught up on a number of these Darth Vader comics, and uh, certainly a lot of inf a lot of interesting information about a lot of characters that you see in the films uh, that are not addressed within any great detail within them. Yeah, I've heard people rave about them for so long, and I, I was like, oh, that's great, you know, and I like comics okay, but I was just never really a comic person, per se. Uh, but the more that I hear about it, the more I'm doing studying for this show uh, just and everything else, because, there's, you know, I, I've watched the series, I've seen the movies, I've read a couple of the books, but I haven't delved deeply into them. The more I read about it, I'm like, wow, I really, really need to get into these because there's some interesting, interesting stuff going on in these comics and in these books. Right. Um, and actually getting back into a little bit of the Clone Wars information that we were talking about earlier. So, uh, you know, Boba Fett makes this attempt on Mace Windu's life aboard one of these Republic cruisers and ends up 
uh, they end up abandoning ship. Uh, a number of these young clones that are uh, essentially cadets or trainees are ordered to evacuate the ship as a result. And uh, Boba and his pod actually get picked up by a group of bounty hunters that include Aura Singh, who, uh, again, is that bounty hunter that you see uh, perched atop kind of a rocky outcropping during the pod race. She's very pale and kind of has a, a long top knot of hair. Um, and uh, the one of the other... Uh, bounty hunters that are part of this group that pick up Boba were Bosk, who's that Trandoshan bounty hunter, and another uh, bounty hunter named Castus, I believe is his name. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So uh, Boba joins up with them. Uh, they vow to, you know, kind of take him under their wing and help him get his revenge against Mace Windu. And uh, a little bit later in the series, there is another attempt on Mace Windu's life where Boba rigs his father's uh, helmet with an explosive charge on a crashed ship. And Mace Windu and Anakin Skywalker uh, are kind of lured to that location. And uh, that plays out like this. Clone cadets. Django Fett. Boba. Anakin, no! Drop it! Whose helmet is that anyway? It belongs to a bounty hunter I killed on Geonosis. By the name of Django Fett. You mean... The clone template? Yes. Strangely enough, he had a son. Or at least a clone he regarded as a son. His name is Boba Fett. I remember now. Obi-Wan listed him in his report on Kamino. Boba was on Geonosis when his father died. He watched as I killed him. Uh, that would complicate things. So uh, as a result of that attempt on Mace Windu's life, he is able to kind of deduce that it is, in fact, Boba Fett that is looking to get his revenge for the death of his father and really is what launches the uh, the attempts by the Jedi to kind of track Boba Fett down and bring him to justice. There's another kind of cool side story that takes place with Ahsoka, who we've talked about at length on this show, as well as Plo Koon, who is the Jedi Master that uh, brought Ahsoka into the Jedi Order and is a cool character in his own right. I think uh, it would be a lot of fun to have an, an entire episode dedicated just to Plo Koon. Agreed on that. I, I, I know very little about him, but every time he's on the screen, uh, I've always found him extremely interesting. Yeah, and actually that'd be a character that I would love them to do um, more, whether it's within the comics or whether it's within the book about him. I think he would be an incredibly interesting character and someone who a lot of Star Wars fans would be interested in. It's, it's interesting to note in terms of Plo Koon that he actually used a, a form of force lightning uh, called Electric Judgment, um, which was very similar to the Sith force lightning, and it was fairly controversial amongst the Jedi. So that's kind of something that we really don't see a lot uh, or hear about a lot within Star Wars, that that was one of those force abilities that was not specifically tied to the Sith. But again, it was it was fairly controversial within the Jedi Order, whether any Jedi should be using an ability like that. Well, I'm sure it is because uh, the Jedi Order was 
dare anything ever go leaning towards what they considered possibly the dark side. Uh, you know, we can't have any of that. And so I can see why that would be a little bit controversial within the uh, council and the Jedi Order itself. Yeah, I suppose as long as you're just using it to like jumpstart spaceships, then you're okay. Yeah, you know, you heat up your coffee. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it would come in handy, uh, certainly if you got a power outage, I suppose. Uh, and then uh, kind of within the arc of the Clone Wars, there does come a time where they finally do track down Boba Fett and uh, bring him to justice. And at that point, he kind of realizes that he has taken this vendetta against Mace Windu to an extreme. Um, and while he may never forgive Mace Windu, uh, he kind of admits that he's been wrong about how he's approached it. And that clip goes like this. See now I've done terrible things. But you started when you murdered my father. I'll never forgive you. Mm. Well, you're going to have to. Take him away. So as you can see there, I mean, Boba Fett realizes that uh, killing Mace Windu is not necessarily the means by which he is going to resolve his issues with the death of his father. Um, interestingly enough, this is kind of the very first we see of the fact that Boba Fett um, kind of in his life as a bounty hunter did have a code that he lived by. He was the type of bounty hunter who, if he took a contract, he was very much committed to finishing that contract and was really fanatical about doing so. Um, so he definitely honored his uh, the jobs that he was given, but he also wasn't going to take things too far. He wasn't going to be doing things for revenge, per se. Uh, it was really just all about the job with Boba. Right. I mean, he was a bounty hunter. He was out for himself most of the time. But there was some interesting things involved, especially when he was young. I think he got a little more ruthless as he got a little older. But when he was young, uh, there were some times where he kind of swayed a little bit. He, you know, I mean, there was a point where he had the choice of going back to staying with the, you know, we talked about the young clones he was with and, and being with them. And he was a little hesitant on uh, leaving and going with these, this group of bounty hunters and not staying with them. And he, he got to understand that a little bit. I mean, one, he lost essentially what was his only family, which was his father, a father, his clone father, uh, Django Fett, uh, you know, and then he's, he's there with this group that are kind of rooting him on about his same age and essentially are kind of his you know, half brothers or whatever you want to call them, uh, you know, it, it had to be kind of tough on him and, and intriguing for him to possibly stay with them at some points. And there were several times where he was put these, these group of bounty hunters that he was with when he was young, wanted to kill several of the clones, you know, it, to get to their goal. And he balked at it. He didn't want to do that. And again, you know, they were basically his brothers. He didn't want to uh, react in that way. Uh, it came up many times in his early life. Yeah. And once uh, Boba had served his prison sentence uh, for his attempts on Mace Windu, uh, he actually immediately 
actually went off and started a bounty hunting syndicate uh, called the Crates Claw, where they use Tatooine as their base of operations, which is why you so often see him associated with Jabba the Hutt. Um, obviously, that would be a typical uh, client of his working on Tatooine. And that syndicate that he started also included Bosk and Dengar, who is, again, that human bounty hunter you see on the bridge of the executor uh, within Empire Strikes Back with the uh, wraps around his head, uh, as well as a couple of other bounty hunters. And the other kind of uh, interesting crossover during this period of Boba Fett's life is that he ended up um, having Asajj Ventress, who was Count Dooku, uh, or Darth Tyrannus, if you prefer, uh, was his Sith apprentice, unbeknownst to the Emperor. Uh, and after she had made an attempt on uh, Count Dooku's life and uh, he basically run her off, she took up uh, work as a bounty hunter, kind of looking for her place in the universe and ended up in this particular scenario, crossing paths with Boba Fett and going to work for him. Hey, boss, who's your girlfriend? Shut up, Dengar. Hey, boss. Boss? This is your boss. You got a problem with that? My name's Boba, and this is Heisey. <laughs> I see you've already met Bosk and Lance. What's your name? I don't have a name. So it's gonna be like that, huh? Look, kid. I don't take orders very well. Especially from someone of your stature and obvious lack of experience. She killed Oked, so she agreed to fill in for him on this particular job. Or, like I said, we can always find another way to settle your debt. That won't be necessary. I'm a little short of work right now anyway. She's a little rough around the edges, but we need six hunters. Without her, we got no job. Fine. Let's get going. Don't we settle first? What? You don't trust us? When the job's done, you'll get your cut, just like the rest of us. So that clip is really uh, Asajj being brought in by this group of bounty hunters. She had killed one of them in a bar, and basically as a result, an uh, opening had come up for a job that Boba's group was going to do, and they kind of bring her in to fill in that position on their team. So uh, from there, it kind of goes on to some of their adventures, and we won't get into those in detail. It's it's quite a bit of additional information. Um, but really, you know, from that point, it really does go into, you don't see it so much in the Clone Wars, but that is really the start of Boba Fett kind of taking on the mantle of the bounty hunter that his father was, uh, becoming the person who was considered really the deadliest bounty hunter in the galaxy. And you can see those early ties to Jabba and some of the other characters that we see within the uh, Star Wars original trilogy films. Mm, interesting thing about him as I was doing my reading again and discovered that uh, you know, you knew he was tied with Jabba in many ways, but uh, part of it was that Jabba actually kind of felt like Boba was 
maybe his only friend. Like he would sit back and have long talks with him at night and share a, a drink with him in the evenings, sometimes in Jabba's palace. Uh, just kind of a fascinating insight that I would never have imagined until you do some of these readings on some of the things that are out there uh, in some of these comics and in some of these books. Uh, fascinating stuff. Yeah. And again, I mean, Boba Fett was a, a character who was going to live a pretty solitary life. I mean, he kind of worked alone and, um, you know, I'm sure that that also, uh, that relationship he had with Jabba kind of went both ways, uh, in the sense that they both provided each other some company and, uh, certainly easy to understand how that could have been the case. We certainly see a lot of Boba Fett within Jabba's palace, especially within Return of the Jedi. Um, and interestingly enough, um, while within current canon, Boba Fett's story does end at that point where uh, Han Solo accidentally uh, triggers his his jetpack. Uh, he slams into the side of Jabba's sail barge and falls into the uh, the Sarlacc pit or the Great Pit of Carcoon, depending on what you want to call it. But uh, within the legend storylines, he actually did escape from the Sarlacc pit and went on to have for, uh, further adventures. So I guess the question is, you know, they we've talked a lot about the fact that they've brought a lot of stuff out of legends um, and kind of reintroduced it into canon. And the question is, as we mentioned earlier with Mace Windu, I mean, you see these characters quote unquote die on screen uh, but it's becoming a little bit like the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the sense that no one's ever necessarily dead and uh, Boba Fett's certainly a character that I think uh, fans would be willing to see more of if they got the chance yeah, it wouldn't shock me at all if uh, we see him appear in some way, uh, whether it be the films, whether it be popping up in The Mandalorian, which would kind of make a little bit of sense if suddenly there'd be an episode and The Mandalorian runs into Boba Fett somewhere. Uh, it'd be kind of fascinating, actually. But it wouldn't shock me if, it, you know, even if it's not on the screen, if it uh, develops into one of these books we're, we're going through uh, as we get farther into what is now canon um it wouldn't shock me i i, I think that you know it's funny because if you saw some quotes from george lucas he was surprised that boba fett ever became a as big a fan favorite as he did and he is a fan favorite it's actually amazing you know and uh he's like i would have done more with him if i had known that people would have loved him so much i just thought he was just kind of an interesting uh bounty hunter that can you know do some things but i didn't know that 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 a major part of the fan base was going to love this character. Yeah, I'm certainly when when you look at some of the interviews that they've done with John Favreau from The Mandalorian there is a certain feeling that is evoked when you see that kind of medieval knight armor that they wear and uh with all the gadgets they've got loaded into their armor they're just they're very interesting characters certainly watching uh star wars rebels and the clone wars and getting to see a lot more of that mandalorian culture and uh kind of the death watch which is a militant uh, faction of the mandalorian population uh who typically were the ones wearing that armor it's uh it's something that evokes uh, a lot of interest in in Star Wars fans in general, and uh, it's certainly understandable why. They've been addressed enough for people to be familiar with them, but there's still a lot of mystery to them, and I think that attracts people. 
I agree. And I also think that if you if you look at the character, if you look at Jango Fett, if you look at Boba Fett, if you you look at many of the Mandalorians and you just see them solely on the screen, because a lot of times from what we've seen, at least uh, in the films, is that they've been a lone hunter. There's a lot of Batman involved in that. And, you know, everybody there's a lot of people who really love Batman. And basically, the man, whoever's wearing the Mandalorian armor is basically the Batman of the Star Wars universe. So it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, no, I hadn't really thought about it that way but it is exactly the same kind of thing right it's that suit of armor with all the gadgets and uh you know you they just always seem to have exactly the thing to deal with whatever that scenario is that they've been thrown into so i can certainly see the crossover between uh between the mandalorians and like a batman type character yeah, I mean, it just totally makes sense to me why people would kind of be drawn to that character. As many people who grown up loving Batman and even in more modern films, how many, many people have enjoyed the, the, the newer Batman. Um, it, it just totally makes sense. That like, you know, this guy is, you know, he's he's not... He, he's not like a Jedi who have all these, uh, entry, you know, things ingrained within him. They're using the force or whatever he's using. He's basically a, a regular person who is maybe trained a little more, but he's using all these gadgets to his ability, just like Batman. Yeah. Now we're going to have to start, uh, getting that, uh, hashtag star Wars, Batman. We're going to make that popular on Twitter, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mandalorian hashtag Star Wars Batman exactly um so again with uh with the Mandalorian coming I am going to do another uh another episode in this series where we cover some of these other bounty hunters that we've kind of mentioned briefly Bosk and um Dengar are probably the two that have a little bit more of a backstory uh as they were mentioned within the Clone Wars but um also uh Forlom and uh Zuckus who again all of these characters had a lot more information out there on them within um the expanded universe prior to that uh, moving to legends um so we may talk a little bit about that in the in the episode where we address those characters uh, but i really do think that uh, within the mandalorian it would make a lot of sense for some of these characters to kind of uh, make another appearance and i think it's going to be useful to a lot of star wars fans out there who are going to be watching the mandalorian to know a little bit about them uh, so that they can uh, you know kind of have that extra level of enjoyment when they do see that episode Mm-hmm. Agreed. And, and, you know, it's, I think it's, we've seen already that, uh, you know, Disney's form of Lucasfilm is willing to move in some of the legends into canon. And you, if you're talking about all these bounty hunters that you just discussed, they are already canon. It's just, they are already within the films. It's just a matter of expanding on their stories and whether they reach into the expanded universe and legends or whether they decide to uh, tell a new tale. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if we start to see them making appearances again, even if it's not on films, but in the novels or in the comics. Yeah. And so if you are, uh, you know, if you're into the bounty hunters or if you're listening to this episode and you, uh, have a favorite bounty hunter, whether it's one of the ones that we're mentioning, or if, uh, it's someone else that is part of star Wars canon that you really enjoy, definitely reach out to us on Twitter. Um, Use the tag JTA podcast bounty hunter, uh, and I will keep an eye on those. And we'll maybe mention a few of those uh, when we do our follow up episode. Uh, might be kind of fun to hear who uh, people kind of have attached to within that bounty hunter community within the Star Wars films. 
and so that really will wrap it up for this discussion. As I said, we'll uh, we'll still approach those other four bounty hunters uh, from the film within an upcoming episode. Um, you know, again, I think we're going to have to pull in a little bit of Legends information to kind of flesh out that episode in hopes that they do pull some of this stuff back into canon. And uh, to Tom's point about that, you know, one of the issues that they had with the expanded universe, uh, despite all the amazing stories that they had crafted over the years between the end of the original trilogy films and kind of when Lucasfilm uh, was purchased by Disney is that while the stories were incredible and there was a lot of uh, a lot of cool things brought into canon at that time, there was a lot of contradiction. There were a lot of kind of crossed wires that did muddle it a little bit. And uh, I think this is kind of nice that we're able to kind of clean up some of that information and present this as a little bit more of a unified story, which is clearly what the Lucasfilm story uh, group is focusing on right now. Yeah, I think when it first began when the expanded universe stars first started it was a little more succinct uh there was a little more plausibility to it but as it more and more novels got out there more and more writers got out there they there was like you said rob contradiction there were some problems some mixed wires here and there they had to contain it a little bit at some point and uh, that's what they did but that doesn't mean that they're going to completely go away from what you've seen in the expanded universe what you've seen in legends or read in legends or whatever the case may be and we've seen them bringing them back some of these characters back in some of the storylines back in maybe in a little bit of a different way but it's good to know that there, if there are some of your favorite characters that were within the expanded universe that they may possibly show up at some point uh, in the next several years. Yeah, and I certainly hope that's the case. I mean, there's uh, they've already done it with the Thrawn character that we've talked about um, quite a bit on prior episodes. And, you know, he was an incredible character that really was from that expanded universe. And the fact that they were able to bring him back in in a very uh, interesting way. And uh, I'm actually just finishing up the Thrawn Treason story that just came out at the end of July there. Uh, and they've done a great job with that three-story arc as well. So looking forward to more of that. Um, uh, in terms of the Holonet news for this week, again, it's been fairly light. Um, I do know uh, that they're, uh, for Star Wars Celebration 2020, and uh, I know that, Tom, you're looking forward to that already. Uh, it does look like they're going to be partnering as they did in the 2019 celebration with a vendor that will allow for kind of ticket exchanges to go through a more formal route. Um, and I will be putting some of that information out on our social media. If you're interested in looking at Star Wars Celebration tickets, I know many of those have already been sold out, but there will be opportunities for people who have purchased those tickets uh, and find that they can't go to have a means to uh, unload those tickets to people who are able to go um, via this uh, third-party website. Uh, and I think that's really the best way to do it. It's going to keep people from being um, kind of run through the ringer and and going through illegal channels to get these tickets that may cause uh, future issues if they if they do get uh, discovered or, or banned or whatever the case may be from celebration. Or you might get somebody who's selling, you know, not real tickets out there. You know, you don't want to get a fake. You don't want to be all excited to get out to Star Wars Celebration, book your hotel, book your trip, whatever the case may be. And you, you get there to the front door and they're like, sorry, uh, this is a fake. doesn't work. Uh, yeah, go through official channels. Uh, find those tickets. They will be some people. Everybody plans ahead. When you're buying these tickets more than a year in advance, it doesn't mean that everything is going to work out for you. Some of these tickets will uh, show up online and you may be able to get in if you're there at the right place at the right time. So, you know, if you didn't 
all um, score them already. That's unfortunate, but uh, keep your hopes high. Uh, something may pop up for you as we get closer to next year, August of 2020. Yep, and there are still tickets for Thursday and Sunday at Star Wars Celebration available, as well as some of the kids' one-day tickets for those days. Uh, so, you know, if you're only able to go for a brief period of time, you may still be able to just go through the, the regular ticket purchasing option on the Star Wars Celebration website. So check that out. Um, but again, if you're looking for one of the other, uh, you know, multi-day passes or whatnot, uh, there should be some opportunities to pick those up as we get closer via this uh, authorized third party. So uh, that pretty much covers it for Star, Star Wars Celebration. But the other thing that I did want to mention, and uh, this is courtesy of Tom, who basically uh, saved my bacon last week, um, when they announced that the reservations were available for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Walt Disney World Resort uh, at the Hollywood Studios Park, the advanced uh, reservations for both Ogus Cantina, Savi's Lightsaber Workshop, and the Droid Depot, uh, it was kind of assumed, I think, by a lot of us that um, they weren't going to allow you to make reservations more than 30 or 60 days out, and it does look like they have opened that up for a longer period, uh, at least with Ogus Cantina. Um, primarily, I think, because they consider that a dining reservation. Um, so I have a trip that I've got coming up in uh, late December, and Tom was able to snag some uh, reservations for Ogas for his early December trip and um, alerted me to that. And I was actually able to get multiple reservations for both uh, the lightsaber workshop, the droid, res uh, droid depot and Ogus Cantina for late December, uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's, which is one of the busiest times of year at the Disney parks. Uh, so if you are going on a Disney World vacation and interested in getting access to Galaxy's Edge, we would highly recommend that you go ahead and make one of those reservations for your dates, uh, because that is essentially expected to guarantee you uh, access to that land as part of one of their boarding groups. I'm, I'm almost certain it will guarantee you a, a way to get into the land. One, because they're charging your credit card if you don't show up. So you have to be able to get in there to uh, to actually make your reservation. So the way it works here in on California at the Disneyland Resort is that if you make a reservation, say you make a reservation for 1 p.m. for Oga's Cantina, well, then you can get into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge officially at least uh, one hour in advance. So you can go there, get in at 12 p.m., get there, check it out, go to your reservation at the cantina, and then you can stay as long as you want after that. So you don't need to worry about uh, a boarding group or whatever else the case may be. You can kind of shape out your day. If you have a 1 p.m. reservation, you, you can go and check out the rest of, if it's on the West Coast, uh, Disneyland Park, Disney California Adventure Park, or if you're on the East Coast, you can go check out the studios, you can go get breakfast, go get brunch, sleep in, whatever the case may be, and then you'll kind of know how your day is going to sh uh, shape out. Whereas if you're if you're going there and you're hoping to get a boarding group, at least at least from what we expect, we, they haven't fully officially announced it yet for Walt Disney World. But as it works at Disneyland Resort, you go in, you, you get your ticket scanned, your pass scanned, and then you can go on the app or go to a kiosk and sign up for a boarding group. And then you have to wait and kind of see as to when they will let you into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Well, so you're kind of, yes, you can do some other things during that time, but you still don't really know how your day is going to shape out. Take advantage of the chance to go out there and get these reservations well in, ahead of time. You'll know that is set aside. You'll know when you go to the Walt Disney World Resort or the Disneyland Resort, look, this is our day. We are definitely getting to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge that day. And then you can shape the rest of your vacation around that. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. I think that 
Certainly on a Walt Disney World vacation, it is really about planning. And if you're not a planner and, and you're okay going and really not knowing what you're going to have access to, and you're not going to get upset by that, then certainly, uh, you know, do whatever uh, makes you happy or do your vacation exactly how you how you prefer to do it. Uh, but I think for most people going there and being able to have access to the rides, the attractions, the uh, shopping that they want access to, this is really going to be one of those areas of Walt Disney World that is kind of unusual, I guess I'll, I'll say in terms of, you know, you're, you're not guaranteed to get in there. Um, there has been a third party sites that have said that they have kind of examined the play Disney app. Uh, I'm sorry, the, my Disney experience app that uh, Walt Disney world puts out there and looked at the code and there is kind of base code in there for this boarding group functionality. Uh, so we expect that at some point, Disney Walt Disney world is going to announce that boarding groups are going to kind of be the approach they take. Uh, but as Tom said, go out and get your reservation for August Cantina. And that will guarantee you that you are going to get into the land and allow you to plan the rest of your vacation around that, which is going to be uh, really a big part of what's going to help you make that an enjoyable experience. Right. It just it just makes things easier. Why not take advantage of it if you're if you are planning on going? I understand like if it's on a whim and this day you're like, hey, you know, we're going to go and check out Star Wars Galaxy's Edge today and hope to get in. Sure. But if you have the chance, if you're planning a trip, especially to the Walt Disney World Resort, but yes, the Disneyland Resort as well. If you're planning it out, uh, go ahead and just take advantage of it. If you do change your mind. You can cancel these reservations 24 hours in advance and you won't, you know, your money will be refunded to you. So that's not a problem too. You can change your plans. It's not like you're absolutely locked into it, but just, you know, get a jump on it, have this ready to go, have it in your hip pocket as you go out and try and enjoy your time at these resorts. Yeah, and that holds true for whether it's an Ogus Cantina reservation or whether that is the lightsaber workshop or the Droid Depot. Uh, all of those can be canceled up up to 24 hours in advance without any any uh, fee or any penalty. Uh, so just keep that in mind. And uh, I think they're all pretty cool experiences. I will say this, that I know that up until this past week, uh, you could make reservations at Disneyland Resort for both Ogus Cantina and Savi's Lightsaber Workshop, but the Droid Depot was not something you could reserve ahead of time and Disneyland did just make that change so if you are visiting Disneyland Resort and you want to make sure that you have an opportunity to try out that droid uh, building experience in the droid depot uh, you should be able to reserve that in advance although I think all of those experiences are only allowing you to book uh, I don't know what is it uh, 14 days in advance at this point Tom at Disneyland Resort, yeah. It's, yeah. Right. it's still only 14 days in advance. I know they have mentioned that eventually they're going to open up to 60 days in advance. But as of checking, actually I didn't check today, but as of checking yesterday, it's still 14 days. Yep, and that was my experience as well, checking because uh, we have a trip out there coming up in September. So uh, that's pretty much it for our Star Wars news for this week. And uh, Tom, if you would go ahead and, and let the listeners know how they can find you in the Hyperion Adventures podcast. Uh, Tom and his wife, Michelle, have a great series that they're doing and have been doing for the last few months called Star Wars Remembered. So uh, if you kind of want to relive some of the details of the Star Wars films, uh, that is a great place to check it out. And Tom will give you the details on how to find them. Yes, thank you, Rob. Always a pleasure being on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Uh, yes, we are continuing our Star Wars Remembered series as we count down to the end of the Skywalker saga. We're doing one film a month 
Uh, this week, as a matter of fact, we are moving into the original trilogy. We are doing uh, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, and Rob joins us uh, on all these episodes uh, as our kind of our our Jedi archivist to make sure that we're on the straight and narrow with everything we talk about uh, during these films. And so we'll be doing that this week. We've gone through all the films in Star Wars chronological order to this point, and we will be continuing that on into December. And if you uh, want to find us, uh, you can track us down. Best place is at our own website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. Uh, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, we're on iHeartMedia. And if you want to follow us socially, uh, we you can find us on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. And by the way, uh, we are just a little over a week now till D23 Expo 2019, where there is bound to be a lot of Star Wars news coming out. And we will be out there for all the days uh, checking things out. And we will be, you know, reporting it on it uh, socially, on social media. And we will also be doing some uh, wrap-up episode, wrap episodes for each day, kind of talk about what went on at the Expo. So you might want to check those out as well. Yeah, and it's an awesome series. Uh, I'm not just saying that because I'm part of it. Um, it's just fun to kind of go back and relive the, you know, the aspects of the films um, and the order that they're doing them is really kind of uh, chronological within the Star Wars universe. So it's a little different take on things. Um, it's going to take us right up to the Rise of Skywalker. So it's kind of a great way to refresh your memory on everything that's gone before if you're uh, not a person that watches the films regularly. And as, uh, as Tom mentioned, they do cover a lot of other Disney and Marvel news as well. So if you're into those aspects of uh, the entertainment world, then there's certainly a lot of great content out there for that. Um, and uh, certainly something that I would recommend that everyone give a shot. So Tom, thank you guys, or thank you for so much for joining me again this week. Uh, very much appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to hearing a lot of what comes out of that D23 Expo. Couldn't be more excited for it, Rob. I know there's going to be a big Star Wars influence on it. They had so little at Comic-Con here just a few weeks ago. Uh, I, I know they're just waiting to spring a lot of Star Wars information on us at D23, and we're looking forward to covering it all. Yeah, I, I just I'm hoping that we get to hear something about the Cassian Andor series. Um, I know that they may be holding that uh, until celebration next year, but I'm hopeful that they at least give some basic information about when they expect that to start showing up on the Disney Plus streaming service. So. Again, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a, a rating and a review. Uh, that's very helpful in other people finding this podcast. Uh, if you are a listener that uh, has friends or acquaintances that are into Star Wars content and you think they'd like this podcast, please just uh, mention us to a friend, and that also will help us grow. Uh, if you want to drop us a line with any thoughts on this episode or any of our previous episodes and you kind of want to get into the discussion on that, we can be reached at JTA Podcast at gmail.com and also on social media facebook twitter instagram and pinterest at jta podcast uh twitter is probably the best location if you want to actually get into a discussion about anything that we're covering we do have some cool stuff coming up in the next few months um i did uh line up a discussion with uh, an actor named dominic pace who uh i linked up with out on twitter and he is going to be playing a character within the mandalorian for a couple of episodes um so we're really looking forward to talking with him once we get into november 
member and his episodes are complete and he's kind of um, had the ability to talk a little bit more freely about that. Um, and again, I think we, uh, we already mentioned that we're going to have some other interviews related to the Mandalorian kind of as we get into the new year as well uh, to get some uh, kind of backstory and, and behind the scenes information on how that series has been filmed. So all very exciting stuff. Um, really cool to see people, uh, good people out there getting to live their Star Wars dream. And uh, I think Tom and I would probably be the first to say that if we had the opportunity to do something like that, we'd be jumping at that uh, without any hesitation. No question about that, Rob. Awesome. So again, thank you guys for listening. A uh, little shout out to uh, Andy, who I ran into at Blaze Pizza here uh, in Lansing, where I live. Um, I was dropping off some business cards there and, and he snagged one of those and we kind of got into a discussion. So always love meeting people that love Star Wars and, uh, and want to listen to the podcast. And uh, he actually gave me a great idea for a future show um, where we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Luke's green kyber crystal that he put into his lightsaber and where that may have come from. So uh, just some fun ideas for future episodes. If you have any ideas, drop us a line. Uh, but other than that, we will be back to talk with you guys on a new topic next week. Thank you. And may the force be with you.